Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores with 20% off wine and champagne. Delicious free-range Irish turkeys for just £39.99. 20% off our unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham. And a selection of vegetable side dishes like seasoned roast potatoes with herb butter and Brussels sprouts with bacon pieces are mix and match any two for €5.50. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop with €50 or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Mama Mystery. I'm your co-host, Austin. <laughs> and I'm your host, Kelly. I hope you guys enjoyed our new music. I didn't even warn you guys. We were switching it up, and we have anybody. some new music. You get to do whatever you want. It's your podcast. Well, sure, but you know, I didn't want anyone to listen and be like, oh, this isn't their usual, usual music. Do we have the right podcast? You sure do. And you do. I just wanted to jazz it up a little bit. We so, hope you guys are having a fantastic week. And, uh, well, today is actually going to be Friday when you likely listen to this. And uh, so you're just getting ready for the weekend. Whoop, whoop. Um, so today's case, Austin, you actually do know a little bit about it, don't you? I know a tad about this one because I have a friend that knows an officer or something that was involved with the case a little bit. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty wild. And he introduced us to the Crime Door app, which... This was a while back that we had talked about it, and um, he was showing us that Crime Door app, mm-hmm. and this was the particular case he was showing us, and it's pretty interesting because they have like these AR rooms that you can kind of navigate through, and um, anyway, it's an interesting app. There's tons of cases where you can find information and sometimes like a virtual reality of the crime scene. There's one with that crazy case with the two girls on the railroad tracks with the guy and the The Delphi murders man that was a wild case yeah we haven't talked about that one enough if you haven't listened to Delphi you got to go back and listen to that one yeah I there's still no updates as far as I know I even had one listener who lives just like 20 minutes from there say that there have not been any updates in the case really it's still just stagnant that was crazy if you haven't listened to that one go listen to it it's wild yeah it is pretty crazy. So today's case was recommended by my friend, Brooke Weiss. She actually listens to this podcast too, but she is also a friend of mine. So hi, Brooke. So Um, hi, Brooke. (laughs) (laughs) So this case has been on Dr. Phil, ID Discovery, Oxygen. There's been um, like shows dedicated to this case, not directly, but like they've done experiments because I watched one of them and it was just kind of experimenting like the crime scene. And I'll talk about that later, but there's been news articles, magazine articles, even the resources on Wikipedia are close to like 60, which in my research is a lot for a Wikipedia article. Usually I get like maybe 10 to like 30, but to have 60, that's a lot of resources. Mm Mm-hmm. So today we are talking about the Rebecca Zahau case. Rebecca Zahau was born on March 15th, 1979 in Falam in Chin State, which is in northwestern Burma, which is more recently known as Myanmar. 
Where the hell is that? You just said like four places. I don't even know any of them are. Well, no, it's just Myanmar. Just Google Myanmar. I can't explain I'm not going to Google it. Just tell me where it is. It's just look on a map, Austin. Is if it I across the world? You, yes. It's like over it's the pond? over there. Yes. It's, it's like over there. Guys, Kelly doesn't even know where it's at. She goes like this with her hand up to her side of her face. Goes, it's over there. It's over there. Look, it's over I the can't pond. I tell you. Yes, just Google it if you're that interested. Jeez. What the heck? Where is? What is it even called? Myanmar. Spell it. <laughs> M-Y-A- and I think M A R. See now I know why you were upset because you don't know how it is or how to spell it or anything. No, I'm pretty sure it's M Y. Burma. It's in Asia. You could have said that. I said Burma. I said northwestern Burma. Why are we like you even know where any of this is? Why are we getting hung up on this particular fact? It's right by Bangladesh. You wouldn't have known where that was, Austin. Oh my God! May I move on? Yep. Okay. So anyway, growing up, her family moved around from Nepal. They spent a lot of time in Nepal to India and Germany, and eventually they landed in the U.S. Her parents and family members moved to St. Joseph, Missouri. Freaking wild. That's pretty close to where we are located. (laughs) And many of them still live here, but Rebecca ended up moving to Arizona, where she became an ophthalmology tech. So she was really proud of this job, and every month she would send $400 to her family to help them back in Missouri. Nice person. Yeah. Rebecca was stunning. She had a big, beautiful smile, dimples on her cheeks. She was seriously very gorgeous, and she took great care of her health and herself. Um, So in 2002, she married a nursing student named Neil Nalepa, but they didn't stay together. I mean, they ended up splitting up. They, they were together for a while, but they ended up splitting up. And in 2009, Rebecca started dating Jonah Shacknai. And he is the CEO of Medicis Pharmaceutical. And she actually started dating him while she was technically still married to Neil. But I think they were, like, separated going through that process. Mm-hmm. Jonah was 20 years her senior and a self-made billionaire. And his company mostly sold Restylane, like filler products. And he met Rebecca when he came into her work for an eye appointment. And she was his tech. And it truly was love at first sight. <laughs> Austin, that I don't was understand. Fun. Love at first sight. She's an eye tech. Ophthalmology. Yeah. Hilarious. You've got to be kidding me. Oh my me. God. You, you looked at the mic and you got so excited about that joke to say it. And you gave me nothing. You look very pretty. <sighs> okay. Anyway, they had similar interests. They loved exercise. <laughs> you better stop that tone. <laughs> oh my. It's, Love at first sight. Come on. Looked cute when you said it. They had similar interests. They loved to exercise, take care of their health, and they were both very family-oriented. So Neil, or I'm sorry, not Neil, Jonah, was married twice before, once to a woman named Kimberly, and they had two kids together. And then after they split up, he married Dina Romano, and together they had a son named Max, but they divorced in 2009. So he would have been about four years old when they split up. And this was the same year he started dating Rebecca. So Max is very important in this story. Max and Rebecca had a very strong bond, and Rebecca loved spending time with Max. 
They would draw and paint together, and Rebecca really loved Max. She would take him to soccer practices and games, and she just kind of like naturally assumed the role of stepmother, even though her and Jonah were not married. But Max's mom, Dina, kind of had an issue with this, as many moms do when it comes to stepmoms. They just get a little territorial and maybe a little resentful. But she became pretty territorial of Max, and she didn't love the fact that Max loved Rebecca so much, which is... Unfortunate. Sucks. So Jonah had a home in Arizona, but he also had a vacation home in Coronado, California, and it was called the Spreckles Mansion, which is where our story takes place. In 2011, Rebecca's divorce with Neil became finalized, and that summer she was staying at the Spreckles Mansion with Jonah and his son, Max. So at the time of this story, her little sister, Zena, who was 13 at the time, came to visit from Missouri. The Spreckles Mansion is a huge house, and it's right on the ocean. It has 10 bedrooms, 11 bathrooms, including a huge guest house. It last sold for $11 million. Damn. Yeah. This dude was balling. Yeah, he was balling. <laughs> oh, my God. This dude was balling. I heard the way that just came out. He was balling. Were you, were you, you weren't being sarcastic right there? No, it just came out that he way. He was bawling. Okay. Anyway, on July 11th, 2011, Jonah was at work while Zena, Rebecca, and Max were at the house. Max somehow fell from the second story banister inside, and nobody actually saw him fall, and it's unclear to this day what exactly caused his fall from the second story. How old was he? He was uh, six. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was six years old. Yeah, so no one knows exactly what ca- caused the fall from the second story. Some people think that he was riding his scooter, like his little Razor scooter, and accidentally crashed and fell over the banister, while some think that there was foul play involved. And we're going to go deep into this. So just... Hold your questions, Austin. No, just, you know, just listen. <laughs> <laughs> so... This whole story was showcased on Dr. Phil, and Dina Shacknai, Max's mother, or Dina Romano, says that she had trust issues with Rebecca Zahal from the time she met her. She said, quote, that she neglected to share very important information with me, such as her legal name. She left out the fact that she was married and the fact that she had a shoplifting arrest. Dina, Dina said these things. And she began to think that Rebecca had issues with impulse control. So I guess in 2009, she was arrested. Rebecca was arrested for shoplifting some jewelry from a Macy's. And the total was like a thousand bucks. But that's, that's all that came to. It was like a one-time thing as far as I could find. Um, but it was just something not that she apparently cool. never... No, it's not cool. But it's not something that she ever told Dina. I mean, Why would she I don't tell think her? I would broadcast that either. Why would you tell that lady? Of course, it only becomes important after your son is involved in an accident when, you know, she's in charge of watching him. Right. But anyway, when Max fell, Rebecca was in her room and her sister Zena was getting ready to take a shower when they heard a really loud noise. They came out to find Max on the floor of the first level. And when Max was found... He had suffered from multiple fractures in his face, a spinal cord injury, and his scooter was laying on top of his leg. And there was also a soccer ball nearby. And not only that, but the chandelier that was like hanging from the ceiling uh, right above the banister and beside the stairs had crashed to the floor. 
suggesting that maybe he tried to grab hold of the chandelier and it came down with him. Mm -hmm. But there's more theories to this. So when they found Max, Rebecca says he was still awake and conscious and that he was saying the word ocean, which was the name of their dog. So she thought maybe he was trying to say that ocean accidentally caused him to fall. Maybe ocean ran into him or something. But she recalled that he was saying the word ocean. First responders later testified that Rebecca repeatedly said, Dina is going to kill me. But I don't think that indicates that she has any culpability here. I think she was just worried because Dina's son was seriously hurt and she was in charge of watching him. And this happened under her watch. Because there's some, yeah, there's some people that think, oh, Dina's going to kill me, like indicates that she had some guilt. No, I can see how it's just like, it was my responsibility and she's going to be upset. Yeah, she just feels bad. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So, but some people kind of grabbed onto that and they were like, oh, see, I think she had something to do with it. And I don't think that. I don't think that. So, when Max arrived at the children's hospital, he was completely unresponsive. So, they questioned Rebecca, how could he have been saying the word ocean? Because when they arrived, he wasn't even breathing. But some theories suggest that maybe she was interpreting the sounds he was making as the word ocean, but that he never actually said it because... Or maybe he was saying, oh, shit. Maybe. I mean, I doubt it anyway. Um, but she <laughs> she did try to give him CPR um, because she did have some medical training. She was an ophthalmology tech, so she had some background in medicine, I guess. And um, so she was trying to help him. And so it's hard to tell, you know, if she was blowing air into his lungs through his mouth, if anything was coming out, could it have made a sound that she was interpreting as ocean? I mean, who knows? But we'll, we'll also touch on that again a little bit later. So at the hospital, Dina, Max's mom, was questioning Jonah, the dad, on how this could have happened, who was there, etc. Jonah told her that he wasn't home at the time. He was at the gym, but that Rebecca was. And Dina is just trying to make sense of all this and immediately places the blame on Rebecca. But Jonah was quick to tell Dina, hey, you should be thanking Rebecca because she immediately started giving Max CPR and called for help, which ultimately saved his life. So opinions are very divided on this issue. Some people think that he was on the second floor riding his scooter and maybe he got tripped up by the dog, causing him to go over the railing. But others think that there is no possible way this could have happened because his center of gravity was too low for him to just topple over this railing with his scooter in hand too, which those Razor scooters are heavy. Mm-hmm. We have we have some. Mm-hmm. They're heavy. So, but I wonder if his center of gravity could have been raised enough if he was on the top of the scooter. Um, and also, the, the banister and the staircase kind of formed like an L. So, the stairs went down and then perpendicular to that was like the hallway with the banister. So, mm-hmm. if he would have been coming from the opposite direction towards the stairs and the banister... And he could have like gone off that top step and gone over. You know, do you maybe he wasn't even maybe he wasn't even riding. Why does he have to be riding it though? Why couldn't he have just been hanging out by the thing, leaning over the edge or something, and he fell? Well, because and I'm going to repeat this again later. But on the scooter, there were markings of paint that were exchanged between the scooter and the banister. So the scooter definitely hit the banister because there was paint from the banister. But why couldn't he have been playing with it, holding the scooter and like hanging over the edge. And then he took a scooter with him on accident. Right. Okay. So that was another theory that I've heard. So the other theory I heard was that, um, 
the soccer ball he was playing with, he did play soccer, but maybe he um, was playing with this soccer ball and it landed on top of the chandelier. Mm -hmm. So maybe he was trying to reach the chandelier with his scooter to like knock the soccer ball out. Yeah, something like that. And like knocked, you know, like lost his balance because those scooters are heavy Mm -hmm. and it just kind of pulled him over the edge. Right. I can see, I mean, that to me sounds like... Did he live through this? So ultimately, No. He he died a few days later, but Shit. he ended up going to the hospital. Um, he never came out of unconsciousness, oh, so he survived. Nobody so knows days. what happened to him. Like he can't tell. He what can't. Happened. Yeah. So, um, wow, that's but sad. that that theory seems like the most plausible to me. I think so too. Maybe and whether it got stuck in the chandelier or whether he was st- like kids are kind of not like I don't mean to say anything because he. Died and that's sad. I don't mean to say anything mean, but like kids are kind of dumb. So like maybe he was they're clumsy. They're clumsy. Better word for it. Sorry. So maybe he was playing next to the banister, and he was you know standing on his soccer ball on top of his scooter, and that's why his center of gravity was higher. And he flipped over the edge and took his scooter with him, and his scooter caught the top. Like I don't know, just so yeah. many things could have happened. It's tough because six year olds don't really think about their consequences. They yeah, they don't think about what's going to happen. Thinking of of what could happen. Mm-hmm. And so another theory I heard was that he could have been trying to ride his scooter down the railing. But I mean, Dina, his mom said that he was never a daredevil. And so I don't believe that one as much. I feel like you got to be at least a little smarter than to like mm-hmm. ride your scooter down a railing of a stair banister. Like that just sounds so uh, nonsensical. Yeah, I don't think that sounds realistic. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, um, the day after the accident, Rebecca takes her sister Zena to the airport so that she can fly back home to Missouri. And she also picks up Jonah's brother, Adam Shacknai, who has come to be with the family during this tragedy. So Adam is a tugboat captain from Memphis, Tennessee. Rebecca takes Adam to be with the family at the hospital. And that evening, they all go to dinner. And then Jonah ends up staying the night at the hospital with Max because he's really not in good shape while Rebecca takes Adam back to the Spreckles mansion. So Adam went to the guest house where he was staying, and then Rebecca goes back to her room, and she calls her sister Mary, who actually still, I believe, lives in St. Joe, or at least near St. Joe. But anyway, she calls Mary at around 8 p.m. that night. Mary recalled that during that phone call, Rebecca told her how tired she was. She, you know, told her about what happened. She was very upset about it, of course, And she told her that she was going to bed kind of early so that she could get up around 5 a.m. and be at the hospital around 6 a.m. So at 12.30 a.m., Jonah calls Rebecca, and she doesn't answer, so he leaves a message saying that the docs are saying it doesn't look good for Max, and they essentially don't think he's going to make it, but that if he does make it, he probably won't be able to walk or talk ever again. But... Like I said, Rebecca did not answer the call, probably because she was asleep at the time. So the next day, it's July 13th, it's 6.30 in the morning, and 911 dispatch receives another phone call from the Spreckles Mansion, and this time it's Jonah's brother, Adam. And here is a clip from that call. I'm not 
So that's just a clip of it. It's actually kind of long. It's about five minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. Um, but essentially, the the phone call, he has trouble finding the address. You can hear him grabbing a table and a knife to cut down, to cut Rebecca down, because it's Rebecca that he found hanging from her balcony. So just a little bit about Adam, though. He's kind of an odd dude. And some people picked up on the fact that he says, I got a girl hanging from here. He knew who Rebecca was. He knew her name. He had spent the evening with her and Jonah the night before. He knew that she was Jonah's girlfriend. So the fact that he refers to her as, I got a girl here, she hung herself, it's just kind of an odd way, you know, to. I think say it's what's odd, going on. but at the same time, like, you have some. Like, yeah, yes. Like, I, like I was just going to say, you have some chick hanging. Mm-hmm. Even if you know her, like you're talking to the cops, it kind of sounds weird to explain who it is when it doesn't matter right now. Right now, what needs to happen is the person needs to get here because yeah. this chick is hanging dead. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that I think that's like, I don't know, maybe as a guy who's not into crime, I don't think that's weird. Yeah. Um, so, and there, maybe there's going to be more things that kind of make you think he's a little odd. Yeah, maybe so, like going forward, but right off that call, I don't. Yeah. What? So. Sorry, I'm loud. I didn't know I was loud, everybody. <laughs> but one thing that, um, that people have pointed out is that he is just like night and day difference from his brother, Jonah. He's more of like the black sheep. Jonah is this like self-made billionaire very wealthy man, successful in the pharmaceutical arena. And then Adam is a tugboat captain from Memphis, Tennessee. Like they could not be from two, from more different worlds, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, when first responders arrive, they find 32-year-old Rebecca Zahal laying on the lawn. Her hands and feet were bound with her hands behind her back. And she had been tied with this reddish-orange rope, And she had been gagged with a blue t-shirt around her neck and in her mouth. And she was completely naked, from head to toe, completely naked. The way that her hands and feet were tied, though, is interesting because they weren't just regular knots. They were nautical knots. And rigor mortis had already begun to set in and given the condition of her body, it was estimated that her time of death was probably around 3 a.m., There was a little bit of black paint on her chest, mostly concentrated like on her nipples. And there was also a small amount of blood on her thigh. And I'm going to address that part later also. So being that Adam was the only person in that residence that night, police are asking him exactly what happened. And he says that he got up around six or so and he got up to get some coffee. He was going into like the main residence, the main house when He noticed Rebecca hanging from the second story balcony. He said he immediately ran into the house, grabbed a knife and this small table to like stand up on to help get her down. He pulled the t-shirt out of her mouth and tried to give her CPR, but she was definitely gone. After talking with police, Adam calls his brother Jonah, who is still at the hospital with Dina and Max. Adam tells him that Rebecca committed suicide, and when they get off the phone, Dina is blown away, and she's like, what? How? And Jonah responds with Asian honor and mimics stabbing a knife into his own stomach. Like, he's using his hands. He's using his hands to 
mimic like he's stabbing himself in the stomach. This is her boyfriend? Her boyfriend said Asian honor. Like that was his, that was his first reaction, I guess. And he, I, I guess he assumed that Rebecca maybe heard his voicemail about Max and decided to take her own life out of feeling guilty because she was responsible for Max that day. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the that weirdest just, first response ever to have. It's very weird. Yeah, it, it definitely wouldn't like Asian honor. That wouldn't be my first thought. I mean, um, yes, she was from Asia, but she was also raised Christian. And so, and her family, like she was brought up Christian and she had firm Christian beliefs. Yeah. So to say Asian honor was just kind of like That's out there. weird. So homicide detectives are on the scene about three hours after Rebecca's body was found and they're scouring the house for any clues or evidence of foul play. They discover where the red rope came from, which was from the garage. It was like a ski rope that you use for boating. Mm -hmm. Then they go up to the room where Rebecca was originally hanging from. And rather than hanging from like the railing of the balcony, the red rope that was tied around her neck The other end of it was tied to the leg of her iron bed frame all the way across the room and like through these two doors. See, like the only thing I know about this case, guys, is just like this hanging because I watched that crime door thing. Mm -hmm. So I just saw the rope going all the way out the door and the doors off the balcony outside and her hanging naked. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know all this. This is nuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the crime door app has this virtual reality where you can literally like go around in the room. It's all virtual. So it's obviously not like real pictures or real video, but it's very um, realistic. So it it shows you exactly how the rope looked, how the knives were placed on the floor, how everything looked. And then if you go over the balcony, you can even see Rebecca as she appears to be hanging. Mm -hmm. And it's actually kind of caught me off guard. I just wasn't expecting to see that because she's fully naked. Um, But anyway, So she's tied to the bed frame and the bed frame appeared to have moved about seven inches from its original spot on the floor. And this is another thing I'm going to touch back on later. So I keep giving you all these little seeds and it's going to grow into this big story at the end. You know, it's all going to come together, I promise. But the police also find two knives on the floor. One knife is like a big butcher chef's knife and the other is a steak knife it looks like a steak knife anyway with straight traces of blood on the handle they also found a paintbrush on the floor along with rebecca's cell phone and a bath towel on the floor right next to some small circular drops of blood on the carpet another paintbrush was found with black paint on the bristles and an opened bottle of black acrylic paint Oddest of all, however, is the message painted with black paint on the bedroom door that says, quote, she saved him. Can you save her? And she quote. saved him. Can you save her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. It's just very bizarre. So Adam Shacknai is taken to the police station for further questioning since he was the only person there with Rebecca. He agrees to take a polygraph test, and during the polygraph, he's asked questions in relation to Rebecca's death, and he's instructed to answer just yes or no, but towards the end of the test, he just offers up this little random tidbit of information and tells the examiner that early that morning, before he ever found Rebecca, he had been pleasuring himself to some porn, and it happened to be like Asian girl porn. He just offers up that information? He just said it. Yeah, and what? 
And the no- I noticed you said the no- the knots were nautical knots, and he's a tugboat guy. Yeah. Oh, babe, mm. I am so proud of you. You're getting good at this. <laughs> well, thanks. I am so proud that you picked up on that, because yeah. that is something I'm going to point out later. Yeah. But I'm so proud of you, this guy who doesn't follow tricky. You look so proud of yourself right now. Thanks. But I'm very proud of you for picking up on that. Look how far you're coming. Far. It only took 49 episodes. 49 episodes. I think, oh, this is episode 47. You know, either way. Good job. Thanks. So anyway, yeah, he just like tells them, oh, hey, by the way, I jerked off to some Asian porn earlier. Just thought it might put that out there. Like, what? It makes you sound like you're guilty for some reason. Yeah, like, why would you And just then there's come this Asian woman that? hanging off a balcony. Yes. And I was in the house with her all night, yes. me and her. Yeah. yeah. And she's naked. Yeah. And I mean, she committed suicide. What? Like, yeah, this is weird. It's not adding up. So at the end of the test, the examiner says, you could have done a whole lot worse on the test, but you could have done, done a whole lot better too. And based on what I've got here, we're kind of in the inconclusive range. So it's not saying he lied, but it's not saying he told the truth. It's just inconclusive. And that's why polygraphs are... Not great. Uh, just not a perfect science, unfortunately. Anyway... Meanwhile, news begins to break out about the death of Rebecca Zahau, and there are news helicopters flying above the Spreckles mansion. For whatever reason, the police never covered Rebecca's naked body on the ground. Usually, that's like on the news. Yeah, no, but like usually when police come on a scene, that's one of the first things they do Mm -hmm. is like they gather what they need, but then they immediately cover the body up. That's like disrespectful as hell, I feel like. That too. Yeah. Yes. And What so, year was this all? I'm sorry. 2011. Okay, got it. So there was actual news footage of Rebecca laying on the ground being broadcast to the world. And Rebecca's family is watching this all unfold on the news. And they're understandably just devastated and ashamed that the news would just broadcast pictures and video of her body on the ground like that. Like mm-hmm. they did blur it out a little bit, but I mean, it's undeniable what you're looking at. They instantly knew something is wrong here. This is not a suicide. Somebody has killed Rebecca. And Mary, her sister, has been incredibly vocal and an advocate for Rebecca throughout this entire process and vehemently denies that she would ever commit suicide, nor would she do it in such a way that would disrespect or embarrass her family. Like, she would never leave herself in a way that would, you know, that would make her family so upset. She would never do that to her parents. Right. So anyway, then three years, or I'm sorry, three days later on July 16th, doctors confirmed to Jonah and Dina that Max is brain dead and there is nothing they can do to save him. So he's taken off life support and he passes away, which is just God. So much tragedy all at once. Yeah. It's like two crimes and two two crimes and mysteries in one episode. Yeah, it's a it's this like double <clears throat> tragedy. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's horrible. And then two days later, on the 18th, police announced that there will be two investigations going forward: one regarding the death of Max Shacknight, and the other regarding the death of Rebecca Zahau. So during the investigation of Max's fall, investigators find that there was white paint smudged on the wheel and the undercarriage of Max's razor scooter. And these markings match up with the white paint on the banister of the second floor. And the physical evidence all points to his fall being a terrible accident. And in Rebecca's case, it was way more complicated. 
So the message on the door, she saved him, can you save her? This was a riddle that everyone was trying to decode. So did Rebecca write the message or did someone else write the message in an attempt to make it look like a suicide? Rebecca did appear to have some depressing thoughts that she kept track of in her phone. She kind of used like the notes app, I guess, as like kind of a diary. And in one of the notes, she wrote, no amount of money is worth what I'm going through. And she also wrote, I feel emptiness. And if I'm not thinking, I'm crying. So it's unclear as to when she wrote these notes, but friends and family knew that she struggled with feeling kind of a sense of purpose because she was no longer working. Jonah told her she could quit her job and he would start paying that allowance to her family every month. Like he encouraged her to quit her job and he was paying for everything. Her sister Mary also recalled in that phone call on the night that um, Rebecca died that Rebecca was worried about her allowance to send to her family and told Mary that she'd call her mom soon to discuss the situation. I think Rebecca was probably worried that this would like ruin her relationship with Jonah and she'd be on her own again. But, um, you know, when Jonah and her started dating, he told her to quit her job and that he would support her. So she was going to have to like start all over which I don't think would have been that hard. I mean, she was an ophthalmology tech. She probably could have gotten a job and, you know, gotten back on her feet. But I think in that moment, she was just worried about like, holy cow, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I have nothing. Mm -hmm. So the knots on Rebecca's hands and feet, like we said, not simple knots. These were nautical knots and very intricately made. And Jonah's brother, like you pointed out, was a tugboat captain. So common sense would tell you that a tugboat captain would be very familiar with these types of knots. So later when this eventually went to trial, this is just a little side note that I don't have written, but it's just something I just remembered. So when they went to trial, they asked Jonah to describe what kind of um, knots they would use when they would ever go boating. Cause he said that Rebecca would often tie off the boat when they were docking it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Rebecca has told her family that they rarely ever went out on the boat and that she was upset by that. Like she just wishes she could go out on the boat more. Mm-hmm. But Jonah, when he was asked to describe what type of um, not she would do. She would do like your basic looped, you know, figure eight loop knot on a cleat, mm-hmm. on a boat cleat. It's just something that's common if you've ever been on boats. We go to Lake of the Ozarks a lot, so we're familiar with that. But it's it's literally what you would expect on just a regular boat, a regular figure eight loop. Mm-hmm. But that is not the type of loop that was tied on Rebecca's hands and feet. And when they showed Jonah the picture of those knots, he admitted he had never seen knots like that before. And he had never seen her tie knots like that before. And when they asked Adam the same question, he probably said, Oh, those are X ball. No, he said, I've never seen those knots before this tugboat captain. Okay. His his job, his profession is to be the captain of a tugboat. And you're going to tell me this guy you has no idea what, what type of knots these are. Yeah. That's I call it bullshit. Yeah. Of course he's not going to admit that he knows what kind of knots those are because then it would implicate him. I guess I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But, if, but I mean, come on, you're a tugboat captain. You know what these knots are. Give me a fucking break. Anyway, <laughs> Austin just gave me a look. Okay. Anyway, Also, it is incredibly rare that a person commits suicide completely naked like she was. And what would the purpose be of the t-shirt tied around her neck? 
Lastly, the rope around Rebecca, Rebecca's neck, oh my gosh, neck was tied over her hair. So like she had this noose that was slipped over her hair, meaning that she never pulled her hair out of the rope. This might seem like a minute detail, but ladies, especially if those of you with long hair, it is like a second nature when you put something over your head and around your neck, whether it's a shirt, a scarf, a necklace, whatever, the first thing you do is you run your hands under your hair and get it out of whatever you just put it on, right? But the rope was like on top of her hair. So that interesting. is odd to me. I just like, here's the deal. She would have had to tie her feet up. Yeah. Then put a t-shirt, gag herself with a t-shirt and wrap mm-hmm. it around her neck. Mm-hmm. And then pull this noose over her head while she leaves her hair and everything in it mm-hmm. and then reach back and tie her hands together mm-hmm. and then go, uh, go a jump many jumps till you get to the edge and then hop over the balcony. Yes. But <clears throat> all me, naked, all naked. Let me show you these knots because once you see the knots and I'll put them on our mom and mystery page, but once you see these knots, it's even more hard to believe how she could have tied them together herself. Yeah, like that's insane. Oh my gosh. Out. I'm sitting here picturing like one knot entwined. This thing is like seven layers of rope. Yeah, it's literally like looped around her wrist and her other wrist multiple times. What? It goes up her arm multiple times. It would take like time to do this too. Yeah. And how are you expected to do that behind your back? Which this gets addressed later, but it, it still just makes it even more unbelievable. It's to me. insane. Yeah. So the investigation lasted about seven weeks when finally Sheriff Bill Gore holds a press conference after the conclusion of Rebecca's investigation. They conclude that Max's death was a tragic accident, and it has been ruled that way. So they've clo- they've closed that case. But in regards to Rebecca the medical examiner chose to rule the cause of death as hanging and the manner of death as suicide. What? It doesn't even seem like realistic to say that. No. So they even played a video of a woman the same size and stature as Rebecca tying the knots around her hands while they are in front of her and then slipping one hand out moving it around her back and slipping her hand back into the contraption. So, which to me is just like, (laughs) that sounds so unbelievable to me. Like we're really reaching here. We're reaching to make this a suicide. And well, it sounds to me like the billionaire maybe had something to do with it and money goes far in life. And we'll, we'll touch on that again in a little bit, too. And what about all the paint and shit? What's all that? So to explain the T-shirt. And the knives and the blood on the handle. And where, where, where was all this? Yeah. So to explain the T-shirt around her mouth, they suggest during this press conference that she put it around her mouth and neck to contain her own screams because she was just so committed to going through with this that she didn't even want her screams and yells to interrupt her suicide. Why was she naked? There's no, there were no answers to that. Okay. So they also conclude that the only DNA evidence found at the scene belonged to Rebecca. And they announced that the last outgoing call made from Rebecca's phone was to her own voicemail at about 12.50 a.m. So remember, Jonah left that voicemail about Max's condition at 12.30. Detectives believed that after she heard that message about his condition, she went to the garage to get the rope, wrote the message on the door for some reason, 
bound herself, and jumped off the ledge of the balcony. But that still doesn't explain the knives, and that doesn't explain the blood that was found on one of the knives. Or the dude masturbating that he, for randomness, did he ever, does that ever? Do that ever, never came up. Do you ever bring up more info here, or are you just going to leave this whole thing? I'm getting there, babe. We are like, this is, this is a longer episode. Okay. So, of course, neither families were willing to accept these outcomes. Max's mom, Dina, ended up hiring a private medical examiner named Judy Melanick to reinvestigate Max's condition when he died. And this forensic pathologist is a Harvard-trained doctor. And after reviewing his autopsy reports and the police reports, she came to the conclusion that Max's death was a homicide. And her theory was that maybe Rebecca came out to find Max riding around in his scooter or playing soccer in the house. She went over to reprimand him, tried to grab him, but Max wiggled free and somehow went over the banister and down the ground. She also determined that the injury to his spinal cord would have rendered him completely unconscious and unable to make any sound. So the report of Rebecca saying that, you know, Max was saying ocean would have been highly unlikely. Um, I don't necessarily agree with this. And just for a reference, Dina has even come out since since all of this happened and said that she she believes that Rebecca didn't play a part in Max's death. So mm-hmm. I just want to put that out there, um, that I still believe that Max's death was just a tragic accident. So okay. I'm going to leave that there. But Rebecca's family, however, hires their own attorney, Anne Bremner, who was a famous attorney. She hires a medical examiner named Cyril Wecht, or Wecht, I'm going to call him Wecht, um, and he has performed over 20,000 autopsies. In his decades of work, he cannot recall one single time that a woman committed suicide in the nude. He also finds it very hard to believe that she could bound herself with those knots, hop over to the banister, and jump off the ledge. What would be the purpose even of tying her hands and feet up if she was going to commit suicide anyways? Right. Yeah, that you never see that either. And the gagging herself, that's all that's this is so crazy. So additionally, there have been experiments done where a weighted dummy the size like the same weight and size as Rebecca was tied to the exact same bed frame which rested on the exact same carpet, had all the same like physical measurements and layout of the room. They dropped this dummy off the side of the balcony in multiple ways. Okay, I saw this whole video on YouTube, and it was through oxygen, if you want to watch it yourself. But um, they did this multiple ways. Every single time they performed this experiment, the bed frame moved much farther than seven inches. We're talking like 25 to 50 inches this bed frame moved when they would drop her off the edge. Wow. And then in an effort to do an extensive investigation, Dr. Wecht ordered the exhumation of Rebecca's body, which was buried at Meyerhofer Cemetery in St. Joseph, Missouri. She was exhumed and transported to his office in Pittsburgh, and he was able to find four separate hemorrhages right under her scalp on the top of her head. He was also... What does that, what does that mean happen? Like, a, like a, a, a hit or something? It means she was probably hit on top of the head. It's impossible to physically explain that she would have gotten those on her way down. Right. Yeah. So it would, it would, in his opinion and in my opinion, mean that she was struck on the head. For sure. Mm-hmm. And this would have been at least four separate times. He also found no damage to the cartilage in her neck where her Adam's apple would be, which is typically where you get those injuries when you've hung yourself. 
Instead, he found damage to her hyoid bone, which is like further up in the neck and more commonly injured during a strangulation. No way. If you are a true crime enthusiast, you probably know that anytime you hear about damage to a hyoid hyoid bone or a petechial hemorrhage, the flags go up for strangulation. Hyoid bone is almost always directly associated with strangulation. Wow. So Dr. Wecht concludes that Rebecca's manner of death is homicide, and together with Ann Bremner, they take their findings to the sheriff in Coronado in California and to the San Diego DA, but their request to reopen the case with this new information was denied. Because he's a billionaire. In June of 2013, the Zahal family hires an attorney named Keith Greer to bring a civil suit against the Shackney family. So Keith Greer found that there was an eyewitness who put Dina Shackney at the Spreckles mansion near the time of Rebecca's death that evening. And Dina's twin sister, Nina, had apparently admitted to being there that night. So the idea was that Dina, Nina, and Adam all conspired to kill Rebecca that night or confront her and maybe it went, something went wrong. So the Zahaus sued the trio for wrongful death of Rebecca and asked for $10 million. But then, I think it was like eight years later, I mean, it's some, a long time had passed. Well, it wouldn't have been eight because that would be current. It was like a few years later. Keith holds this press conference with Dina and Nita beside him basically saying that all those allegations against Dina and Nina were false because there was surveillance footage from the hospital showing that Dina was there with Max on the night that Rebecca died, and Nina was at Dina's house with a witness to corroborate that that story. So how embarrassing would that be that your attorney that you hired is doing this conference with the two people you're suing right beside him? Picture that. I'm trying to follow it. Yeah, it, it's confusing because it's just it's your attorney. So Rebecca, the the, the attorney Rebecca's that Rebecca's family. family hired. Yes, he holds this press conference after they've had put together this wrongful death suit against Nina, Dina, and Adam. Okay, mm-hmm. they put together this wrongful death suit against them, and then he comes out years later with because this this still hadn't gone to trial; it was still going. Mm-hmm. He comes out with Nina and Dina beside him. They're sitting at a table, and he's standing at the stand speaking and saying they are not culpable in this. They have, like, all the allegations against them are false. And even Dina comes out and says that Rebecca and Max are victims in this situation, but that they didn't have anything to do with it. Sounds like he got paid off by the billionaire again. Well, then... Am I wrong? Like, does that not sound like that? Well, no, because I have seen the surveillance footage of Dina at the hospital. At the time, all of this would have gone down. So, yes, she is cleared because the surveillance footage shows her somewhere else while Rebecca was being killed. So the lawsuit dropped Nina and Dina, but it still included Adam, though. And he's not being charged with her murder, but he is being sued for her death. There's two different types of cases here. You can do a criminal charge case, which would be like he's charged with murder. Mm-hmm. And then there's a trial and jury for that. And in that case, a jury would have to vote unanimously if somebody is guilty. But in this instance, it's a civil case. And in a civil case, you're suing somebody because you believe they caused the death of somebody, but you don't have to have as much proof. You know, like 
Mm -hmm. I guess it's just a safer way to go about getting the kind of outcome you want. And in these cases, the jury only has to vote, um, like the majority of the jury has to vote in favor of a verdict. Okay. So it doesn't have to be unanimous. So during the trial, Adam Shackney had a wicked defense team paid for by his wealthy billionaire by brother, the billionaire. Jonah. Yeah. yeah. And all Rebecca's sister Mary had was her attorney, Keith Greer. But one thing that Keith did do was bring a video of a statement made from a witness on the night of Rebecca's death who remembered hearing screaming coming from the Spreckles mansion. And when she went to the police with this information, they just brushed her off. And they tried to make her think that she was hearing it from another direction. She even said, I think it, was, it sounded like someone who was maybe in their 30s. Rebecca was 32. But they totally brushed her off. The Zahau's lawyer, Keith Greer, also brought forward a lot of damning evidence. First of all, there were fingerprints on the butcher knife, and they belonged to Rebecca, but the way that they were placed on the knife didn't really make sense until they positioned her hands behind her back, holding the knife by the blade. So the way that her four fingerprints were placed on the blade... Mm -hmm were kind of weird, and there was no way they could replicate it until they put her hands behind her back. And it suggested that she was bound, and she was trying to use the knife to cut the ropes that she was bound in. Mm -hmm. Second of all, the blood that was on that smaller little steak knife, the only blood found on the knife was on the front end of the handle, like the tip of the handle. But here's the thing. She didn't have any open wounds. Rebecca was on her period, and the blood that was found over by the towel was from her menstrual cycle. And so what they think happened was that she came out of the shower and blood had dripped and she was approached by Adam and that a confrontation ensued from there. And that the, the handle of the knife was used, like inserted into her vagina during a sexual assault. And it's crazy because even on the knife, you can see where there's like these, you know, little silver circles on the handle of the knife. Mm -hmm. And the bottom circle towards the very end is like pink because it's been inserted inside of her. And, then, and he has a thing for Asian women. Clearly. And he probably... Well, he, he admitted that. Well, right. I mean, right. Yeah, so he, it just doesn't make it, it... It makes it that much like... I don't know. It just fits. Yeah. It seems to me like what probably happened was he came into her room, tried to make a pass at her or something. She denied it. And then he attacked her, hit her over the head, used the knife on her, made it look like she committed suicide. And then, you know, Cleaned everything up, finish himself off after it was all said and done. And the best way he could do it was to look at someone who was similar to her. What so next, the message on the door, it contained a ton of clues. The message, she saved him, can he save her? So first of all, she saved him. Those three words were only used within the Shack Knife family, meaning right after Max's accident, before anything ever made it to the news, the only people who could have known like what happened and that Rebecca tried to save Max would have been Jonah, Adam, and Dina. But the message on the door was also kind of high up on the door, and handwriting experts determined two things. One, that when you're writing on a vertical surface, you tend to write at your shoulder height. And then the height of this message on the door suggested that whoever wrote it was probably about 5'11". Rebecca was only 5'2", but Adam was 5'10". 
And they also examined Adam's handwriting samples and found similarities in the way that he wrote his M's and I got the, the goosebumps. And that, the slants of his A's. Yeah, and, and that right there, I was just sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. where you were just saying the handwriting analysis mm-hmm. and, and the way he writes his A's and the mm-hmm. slants and all that. That stuff is so legit. Like, mm-hmm. there's a company called PSA that authenticates cards and authenticates autographs from, like, celebrities and from um, athletes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they know, they can tell if an autograph from Babe Ruth in the 1930s was really a Babe Ruth autograph or if it's a perfect fake or if it's a bad, like that stuff's legit. Yeah. So they dictated that he was, it matched him, his writing. Yes. So they compared it, the message to Adam's handwriting and to Rebecca's and found a lot of similarities in the way that Adam wrote his M's and his A's. Wow. So they, um, they lined up pretty well. And also what I found most damning was actually the lack of fingerprints. This entire time I was researching this and I even watched this, um, documentary on ID discovery, which is where I got a lot of this information. The whole time I was like, are there fingerprints on the paintbrushes? Because that would show you who wrote the message. Mm -hmm. There were no fingerprints on the door handles, on the handles of the knives, on Rebecca's cell phone, or on the paintbrushes. Not even Rebecca's? No, Rebecca's weren't even on there. Not even Rebecca's. So that indicates to me they were likely wiped clean. Right. So, and why would you do that if you're going to kill yourself? Makes no sense. So finally, after a six-week-long trial, it was time for the jury to reach their conclusion. They only took three hours to decide that Adam Shacknai was responsible for the death of Rebecca Zahau, and he was ordered to pay her family $5 million plus an additional $167,000. Which the billionaire paid because it was a speeding ticket. No. No? No. However, Adam later appealed this judgment, and the case was eventually dismissed after he and her family reached a settlement of only $600,000. Which is like a freaking speeding ticket to the billionaire. Yeah, but I mean, $600,000 for the loss of a life. So her family brought this verdict to the attention of the San Diego DA in hopes that they would reopen Rebecca's case and change her manner of death from suicide to homicide. But they refused to open the case, and they refused to change her manner of death. And you just have to wonder Go back why. and look at the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. Yeah. They leave him alone. Yeah. So I wanted to end this, like, or just what I have to say, with a quote from Brooke, who recommended this case because she says it perfectly. She said, quote, Can you imagine Rebecca's poor immigrant parents trying to fight this well-known established billionaire? They never stood a chance. Mary has fought tooth and nail for justice and went so far into debt, hiring investigators and getting the body exhumed. It breaks my heart. Money talks. Simple as that. And if you don't have it, you don't have a chance in the court of law. No doubt. Gosh, this is insane. Mm -hmm. So it's all dropped now. It's done. As far as like, as far as, you know, any updates as of now. Yeah, it's. They're not going to reopen the case. They're not going to charge him with any homicide. And Jonna, like, here's the deal. He's, the first thing he said was what, Asian... Asian, um, oh my gosh, Asian honor. Honor. Like, it sounds like he knew it was going to happen. Yeah, you know, 
I honestly, I, I don't think that Jonah had anything to do with Jonah, it. Jonah, not Donna, sorry. It's okay. Um, I don't think Jonah had anything to do with it. I think his weird brother um, probably made a pass at Rebecca and she you know, denied him. Or maybe he was just upset over everything that happened with Max and he attacked her because he felt like Rebecca was responsible. I, I think it's more likely that a sexually driven assault happened. Um, you know, after this was all done, it was so tacky. He did this interview right after the, like, um, the, the court case and everything, like after the judgment. And he said, he called Rebecca's family a bunch of, um, posers and he just had this really tacky, arrogant, I mean, he, he comes off as just white trash. It's, he could not be more different than his brother, but I feel bad because Jonah is also having to deal with this brother who's being accused of killing his girlfriend Hmm. who was accused of killing his son. You know, Jonah's like in a horrible position. I feel kind of bad for him Mm -hmm. because I mean, this had to have been like the worst week of his life and it completely turned his life upside down. And then he's got this white trash, uncle Eddie type of cousin, Eddie type of cousin or brother coming in and just making an even bigger mess. Unreal. Yeah. That's wild. I did not know anything like this about the case. Like, I yeah, I think I mean I knew you didn't, but yeah, there's a lot more that goes into it. So check out Crime Door, the Crime Door app. It is pretty interesting, and I'm not saying that because I get paid to say it. It really is just an interesting right. app if you're into true crime. Um, but yeah, if you are interested in the sources I have for this episode, you can check out our Patreon because I always post the script on there. But I will admit I got a lot of my stuff from. Um, the, the resources from the Wikipedia article, the ID Discovery documentary, and the Crime Door app. I want to watch the documentary on it. It's it's a long one, but so is this episode. This is almost an hour long. Holy moly. That's wild. All right, so we will be back on Monday. I hope you all have a fabulous, fabulous weekend. Thank you to all our Patreons who have just shown their support, and I can't even tell you how grateful I am for that. It's so, so awesome. This one blew my little brain. Your little brain Mama, that doesn't know anything about mystery. anything. I don't know shit about anything. Yeah. Mama, mystery, out. Bye. This Christmas, let SuperValue do all the hard work with our quality, freshly prepared by range. Our in-store experts have prepared the perfect festive mains and sides for you and your loved ones to enjoy. Simply pop in the oven and get back to entertaining. Shop the full range online today at supervalue.ie. Share the magic this Christmas with Supervalue Online Shopping.